Goblins, Brandon here. Uh, if you enjoy what we do and you'd like to help support us create more and maybe even take the podcast to weekly, then the best way right now that you can support us is to head over to patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers. You can find all the different stuff we do there, one-page dungeons, uh, bonus audio for things, all kinds of stuff. So head on over there, uh, and even if it's just a dollar or you know however much you're comfortable doing, or if you can't put anything toward the Patreon, just tell a friend about it. Tell somebody about the podcast. That's another great way to support us. So, uh, patreon.com slash goblins growlers, uh, and we'll see y'all soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm Josh Maltby at Black Cloak DM on Twitter. I'm Brandon Dingus at Wave Brandalore on Twitter, Instagram, other places, and Discord. Oh, yeah, also Discord. Oh, did you hear about the username thing that they're doing on Discord here in the immediate future? No, what are you talking about? Uh, so Discord is making it so that if you've had your Discord handle for a very long time, mm-hmm. uh, you will get first access to this, but they're making everyone alter their handles. Everyone's names will be lowercase, and there will not be the hashtag four digits afterwards. Uh-huh. And they will need to be unique. Oh, well, that shouldn't affect me at all. I don't think that's going to affect you even slightly. Yeah. It might affect me. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Well, typical, that's... typical big discord stepping on our <laughs> rights to have whatever usernames we want. I'll, I'll have to change to like very dark shade cloak DM or something like that. It'll be the impact wrestling version of your name. <laughs> Craig will get that joke. <laughs> uh, so that's that's something fun and exciting to look forward to. How's your week been, Brandon? Uh, the week's been fine. You know, we were talking just a little bit before we started recording. My big project has been to uh, make my Robotron arcade cabinet functional. And before anybody gets too excited, I'm not stupid enough to buy an actual vintage 1982 Robotron cabinet, I think. <laughs> Arcade collectors who are willing to spend $3,000 on a piece of 45-year-old hardware is, uh, they, they have a lot more time and money at their disposal than I do. I deal in replica arcades and I built a Robotron almost from scratch. I took the shell of an old arcade one up, uh, that's like five years old and, uh, bought a micro PC. I've set up twin stick controls and I've got it set up for a bunch of early 1980s twin stick arcade games. It has been the white whale of my arcade collection. And I'm very excited uh, that now as a 41-year-old man, I can play a game (laughs) that came out when I was one year old. It is kind of awesome how modern technology allows us to just build these things Mm -hmm. very simply and relatively cheaply inside your own home. Yeah. It uh, And I'm repurposing a lot of parts for it and everything. Like last night, I spent about an hour or so rewiring some joysticks so they would work with the USB controller board that I've got. It's um, it's not complicated. It's just time-consuming. <laughs> and I have a lot of focus trouble on a, on a project. Like I had to summon all the willpower that I could, could get last week to like paint 
the cabinet because it was brand. It was an old Rampage cabinet, so I had to like paint it all black and everything. I'm aping the design of the limited continental European release of Robotron because it was a black cabinet in the United States. It was like an Arctic gray. But that really, I tried painting it Arctic Gray, but that really showed a lot of the flaws in the old MDF uh, that was not very well cared for before I uh, adopted the cabinet. So uh, it's black now and it just looks a little bit weathered and I might do a like a Williams Amusements logo stencil on the side or something like that to to be determined. Right now I'm just waiting on the the custom control board to come in the mail so I can get everything wired up. Finally. That's a... It's very, it's very hard rock of you. You, you had a rampage and you want to paint it black. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I posted an Instagram picture of the thing and then I, I put like, uh, uh, Mr. Roboto as the music to it. <laughs> it's very nice. It also has Smash TV and Total Carnage and Cloak and Dagger. Um, it's, it's very fun. It's very fun. Yeah. We were, we were talking briefly about twin stick games and I was like, Oh man. I remember playing Geometry Wars in like 2008. Mm-hmm. Game yeah. kicked ass. Yeah, Geometry Wars is kind of regarded as one of the best modern twin stick games. Because uh, after like, probably after Smash TV in 1990, they sort of uh, fell into disuse, probably because they require specialized controls. And, and you know, by like 1990, 1992, the arcade craze had really... Uh, gone downhill because like the Super Nintendo had come out and and I think Genesis came out right around like 1993 and stuff too. It's also hard enough to keep one joystick working in proper functional order. Keeping two functioning in proper order is, you know, that's kind of asking a lot per player. My brain still has a lot of trouble with it um, because I for a couple of days before I got the joystick set up, I was playing it on a USB Super Nintendo controller and that was fine because I'm used to that. But my brain just like one stick for movement, one stick for firing in eight different directions. It my it's like the two halves of my brain. Other, <laughs> it's going to take a lot of practice. <laughs> well, uh, time for practice you shall have. Yeah. Uh, how about you? Uh, so we got our place listed. This wasn't this past weekend, but the weekend before. It got an offer for 21000 over asking within like three days, which mm-hmm. we were like, what the hell is happening? What's going on? <laughs> is everyone okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were very excited about that. And then literally this past weekend, we spent uh, catching up a little bit. I did on rest. And then Sunday, we just spent touring places and... All, of all the places we toured, we fell in love with not a one. I know you and told me. Also, I know you told me that's what your plan was for this coming weekend. There's yeah, we're yeah. we're basically just trying to book every weekend full of places to tour, so that hopefully we can find something that's very promising in short order. Uh, I mean, the worst case scenario is that we end up couch surfing with either Alex's parents. Or one of our one of our friends or family members who also have decent guest room situations. Mm-hmm. So we are fortunate in that we're not uh, we're not looking at an Airbnb situation if we can't get out of our place in time. How many bedrooms are you looking for? Like three or four. Okay. Well, listeners, if you live in the Richmond area and you have a three or four bedroom house for sale, you can uh, uh, you can hit up uh, Black Cloak DM. <laughs> 
on uh, the Goblins and Growlers Discord at bit.ly slash Goblin Discord. Uh, let Josh know where your house is, and he and Alex can come take a look at it. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep in mind, it has to be fair. So your house has to be publicly listed. You can't just be like, I was thinking about putting it on sale soon if you want to come and look at it, because that's illegal. <laughs> I didn't know that until recently, but uh, yeah, you learn things when you're trying to sell your place. Richmond I am has, also... Richmond has a very sordid history in uh, real estate. Oh, I, you and I have to talk about that offline. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like a nationally known thing. Oh, no. Yeah. I was going to say um, the one thing that Alex and I are a little bit like, hmm, is since our place ended up going so fast and for more than we were asking, we're like, is that going to be, is that going to be normal? Like, do we need to look at our budget and then add like 15,000 to have a shot at getting anything? Well, I mean, <laughs> oh, no. I mentioned this to you the other day, but like from a tax perspective, that might not be the worst idea. Obligatory. Mm. I am not an accountant. I am not a lawyer. I am not a licensed real estate agent, even though I've completed the 60 hour Virginia course to be licensed as an agent. I just never took the test, but remember how cap gains work. Yeah. 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 That's, uh, uh, we had a conversation with the person who is handling our loan from the bank side of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, I need to have a conversation still with someone who is a bit more of an accountant. Yes. And go from there. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of, that's the news around my neck of the woods. Mm -hmm. And I think now's the time where we need to remember that it's in fact a tabletop podcast. But before we do that, um, since you were talking about uh, this coming weekend, we're recording this on Tuesday, the 23rd, by the way. Um, and this weekend, you see, uh, which will be yesterday when you're listening to this, uh, Goblins and Growlers is going to be at Diversity Thrift in Richmond on Sunday from 10 to 4. And we're doing that because we're helping uh, Matt RVA raise money for their free community market. Uh, and uh, the reason I'm telling you this for an event that's happened in the past is because uh, just we want to try and extend the ability to help out to as many people as possible. Uh, if you buy anything from our online store, uh, between when you're listening to this and the end of like Saturday at midnight, uh, 30% of all purchases are going to go straight to Matt RBA. And if you don't want to buy anything from us, uh, which is fine, we're going to put the give butter link for Matt RBA in the show notes for this episode. So throw them a couple of bucks. It's a really great thing that they're doing. It just costs a lot to keep a free community market open. Like I, I was reading uh, some of their posts the other day and uh, I think it cost them something like between rent and utilities and buying stuff for the store, something like eight to ten thousand dollars a month. Um, but it's a great resource for people who really need it. Um, you know, everybody knows how things have been for the last few years. Uh, nothing gets any easier for anyone. So anything we can do to give people a hand up, uh, help them out when they need it, it's paying it forward if you can do it now because you never know what kind of situation you're going to be in later. They also do a lot of work with community fridges and things like that in the RVA area. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll put up some links for Matt RVA so that you can, even if you can't get involved financially, maybe you can get involved another way. Right. Right. But if you don't live in Richmond, probably the best thing to do is throw them $5 or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Fair. But, Fair. uh, 
end of speech. We'll have uh, links in the show notes and everything. And like I said, it's like I don't care if you buy anything from us. Uh, just if you've got if you've got some cash, uh, donate it. Uh, we'll like I said, we'll put the direct donation link in there. Yeah. All right. Let's talk. Let's talk TTRPG news, Brandon. Yeah, I think that's what this podcast is supposed to be about. Enough, enough, John, about local events and raising money for charity. Well, I'm trying. I'm stealth trying to start my own arcade podcast. I think. <laughs> But I'm just not knowledgeable enough for it. You got to start with uh, reviewing Russian arcade cabinets. Yeah, that that yeah, that's, about, that's the end. Yeah, talking about my arcade was our Russian arcade museum of this episode. <laughs> I just I just need to get a big hammer and sickle and hang over the computer. Oh no. Uh, okay, so where where should we start? We've got a few different interesting news article type items to talk about today. I know where to start. Uh, uh, Wizards is going to charge you more for your D and D books. Uh, which oh is, yeah, yeah. That's that's something. That's certainly something. <laughs> um, this uh, th- this just came out today in one of their um community updates. Uh, you know, in January after everything was burning down on fire, they had committed to doing more uh community updates. So they've got a blog now, uh, and they they post the updates sort of as they happen. Like there's not any sort of regular posting scheme for it because they want to make sure it's valuable information. And speaking of value, uh, that's what they decided to talk about today, May 23rd. Um, new release print price increases, it says. Um, and it goes downhill from there. <laughs> this space is dedicated to communicating clearly and transparently with our players, even when the topic isn't particularly fun. Uh, since the release of 2014 D&D Core Rulebooks, we've kept the prices stable. Unfortunately, with the cost of goods and shipping continually increasing, we finally had to make the decision to increase the price of our new release print books. We're committed to creating high-quality products that deliver great value to our players and must increase our prices to accomplish that. Now, I'll get into the details here in a minute. But just to speak for a moment from my perspective as somebody who worked for uh, a long time in the newspaper industry, which is very much reliant on cost of materials for printing and things like that, I get it. Um, you know, shortly after um, the 2016 election, there was a massive uh, tariff fight, uh, and newsprint was one of the main things that was affected by that because most U.S. newsprint is imported from Canada these days. So it was uh, it it resulted in the further price increases of a lot of newspapers and uh, people were already getting less for what they were paying than what they had been in the past. So this didn't really help anybody much at all. And it only continued to set fire to the problem. So I get it. Stuff costs a lot. And uh, what I will say about Wizards is at least from a production standpoint, those books are very well made. Um, You know, glued and stitched, hardback, everything like that. Um, There's a lot of quality there for most of the books they put out. So I get it. The post continues. Uh, This will go into effect starting with Bigby Presents, Glory of the Giants, and new releases after Glory of the Giants. Digital pricing is unaffected by this manufacturer's suggested retail price, as digital products don't need to be printed or shipped. This increase also doesn't impact backlist titles. We can't promise that there will never be a change of prices of digital products and backlist titles, but we have no plans to increase either. So your digital product prices stay the same, and if you want to go out and buy a copy of Curse of Strahd, it's still going to have the same MSRP on it as it did before. They're not increasing the price of that, probably because it's a sunk cost and it's already been printed. So they're not losing money on it. So they gain nothing by increasing the price. It continues. 
players who purchase the Bigby Presents Glory of the Giants digital physical bundle through the Dungeons and Dragons store can get the bundle for $59.95 for the entire pre-order window, which is consistent with our current digital physical bundle pricing. After the pre-order window closes, the digital physical bundle prices will go to $69.95. Damn. $70. Um, $70. I mean, I... I'd yeah. be a little bit more upset about this, I think, if I hadn't literally just gone through this with uh, Nintendo Switch's release of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, mm-hmm. which also released new. Uh, most of their games had been $60 for a very long time, and this one released new for $70. Well, let me tell you a story about a game your wife knows well called Chrono Trigger. I remember <laughs> when it came out, I went to the Toys R Us wanting to buy it in 1995, and it was $70. <laughs> so this ain't nothing new to me. I, no. I do not share your, your Zelda tears. <laughs> so here's, here's the thing that bugs me a little bit about this, is that if they're increasing the price on physical copies, but not on digital copies, then the push is clear. They want you to buy digital, which I guess they think we will forget that when anytime you buy something digitally from someone like Wizards, you are licensing that product. You are not actually purchasing it. Yeah. Let's just, let me just put this out there. Don't buy digitally. Don't buy digitally from a big company. It's, Cause, it, it's a raw deal for you. I know they don't want you to download it for uh, digital rights management reasons. But that also means that they only want you to access it on their site, on their hosting, which means that if their site or their hosting ever decides to stop hosting that product, it vanishes. It's, mm-hmm. it's gone. It's smoke in the wind. Yep. Don't do it. Don't do it. For the longest time, I was like this with my music too. Like I was buying CDs until the bitter end. Um, and then I would only buy MP3s if I could actually just download them, uh, rather yeah. than just like get access to them with a subscription it, price. If you're going to buy something like music, it needs to be something you can download that you can keep on your computer and that you don't need an application to make contact with a server to show that you own that music. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking at you, Apple Music. Yeah. Well, like my pinball, my digital pinball machine back here, it's the same way. I, you have a choice when you set it up. You can either tie your account to the machine or you can tie like your purchases to your account that you buy it with. And the log- there's like pluses and minuses to either. Cause if you tie it to the account, then if you upgrade to like the 4K pinball table or something like that, then you can just port all your games over. If you tie it to the machine itself, then it's tied to the machine. And it frustrates me because every time I turn it off and turn it back on, I have to log back in in order to play any of the tables that didn't automatically come with it because those were ones that I bought on it. So it's, yep. it's, it's very frustrating. But I did that to myself. Yeah, I, I, I had a choice. And in retrospect, I made the wrong one. <laughs> I am glad at least that they are physical digital bundles. Mm-hmm. So you can, with the physical, get the digital as well. And that, that that does not cost any additional money on top of the cost of the physical by itself. Yeah. And let's, let's, let's not forget how 
they want us to think that that's a huge gift or a plus or something like that. But that's just what should have been done a long time ago. Like, I don't know why they waited so long to try and buy D&D Beyond to make that happen. Or like, start your own thing so you can do that. It's just good customer service. Yeah, I think the reason they took so long to do it is because they weren't sure how to manage the DRM aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And when they bought, I don't think Wizards of the Coast felt like they had the kind of capital where they could buy D&D Beyond Mm -hmm. and still feel good about their bank account. But once Hasbro acquired them, then all of a sudden you got big daddy Hasbro money. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's monopoly money at that point. That isn't Hasbro, that's Has Daddy. I realized Monopoly is Milton Bradley, but I needed to make the joke. You're crossing the streams. <laughs> um, I but, just wanted to get ahead of the correction tweets. But, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's good that it's a physical digital bundle, but we should have been getting that since 2014. Like, I understand the business realities why we didn't, but from just a practical reality, there's no reason that they shouldn't have been like, okay, here's like a watermarked, PDF or something like that. Um, you know, cause I mean, the fact of the matter is people are going to bootleg these things anyway. People bootleg physical books. They just tear all the pages out and scan them and then they upload them to Scribd. I mean, <laughs> like it's, it's not hard to find these things if you look for them. Yeah. I'm, I look, I'm just saying that when your pet starts using the bathroom in the place you want them to, you reward them for that. I'm saying Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> is finally doing the thing that we wanted them to be doing in the first place. Mm-hmm. We reward them for that. Like, that is good job on doing the thing you should have been doing all along. It's like when your grandparent suddenly, it's like slow after slow prodding over a decade, starts to change their behavior and become more accepting of people. <laughs> <laughs> good job. We can't blame it on the era you were raised in, but good job. Oh, my word. Um, but anyways, yeah, this is, uh, this is a bummer because Wizards was already charging a lot for the kind of stuff that they were putting out. Like, I'm thinking, like, smaller books. Um, I'm, I'm at a loss for an example at the moment because I don't have them in front of me. But the, you know, the, the Golden Bolt, perhaps? Yeah, yeah. Like, those were usually priced about $10, $10 less than, like, a Core Rules or a Strahd style book or something like that. Um, yep. I imagine now they're probably going to go up to $49.95. And that's, I think so. That is robbery. That is absolute robbery. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot to be said for the fact that, uh, Wizards earning was significantly less than Hasbro projected. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee they want to make up some of that difference. Oh, yeah. Because I mean, uh, nothing like a little price hike to make up some of that difference. Oh, yeah. And I mean, there's a perfectly logical counterargument to be made here that's like, well, the digital pricing is not affected because digital products don't need to be printed or shipped. Oh, well, then you could probably actually reduce the prices on those. Yeah. You yeah, know? you could. Yeah. They they should never have been the same price as the physical media right. that we own when right. they are leased to us. Yeah, you're paying a one-time perpetual rental fee until they decide that you don't get to rent it anymore. Well, and also that they get to edit on the fly whenever they feel like it. Mm -hmm. You don't get the benefit of, I like this rule better when it was this older version. 
because you have to either recollect that yourself or collect that information somewhere and store it off their servers so that it doesn't just vanish someday because they're like, no, nah, we changed our minds. Screenshot everything. Uh, as you flip through the book on D and D Beyond, and then assemble it into a PDF or something. Like make that. your make your own PDF version from screenshots. Don't this not this is an actual advice. Wizards, please don't sue us. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like I wonder, like I wonder too, are they going to evolve to the sort of the DRM stage? Like Paramount Plus, for example. I was trying to send a funny screen grab from the season finale of Picard to a friend of mine, and I forgot that Paramount Plus has this really aggressive DRM where if you try to do a screenshot, it just is black. The uh, the PlayStation 4 has DRM so intense that if you have a capture card connected to the device, it not only is programmed to recognize that there's a capture card there, it won't let you use it for certain applications, certain programs, and in some cases, cutscenes on video games. So, so if you're trying to do a capture of a Metal Gear Solid game or something like that, you may actually only be able to broadcast about 10 minutes of the entire <laughs> playthrough. I remember Metal Gear Solid 2, man. It was like, if you're playing that on a Saturday night, you might as well be in some comfortable sweatpants with a snack because you're watching a movie. Yeah. You're yeah. watching a movie with quick time events. That's about I've, it. I've- I've been playing a lot of Yakuza, and it's not so different. It's not so different. <laughs> Play about 15 minutes of game, watch about 10 minutes of cutscene. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so this is just more behavior from a company that's a big company. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Hasdaddy was like, hey, you got to raise prices on this because you got to meet your goals. So it may not even be a Wizards thing. like. I think the caveat for any time we rant about this stuff is like, we understand it's not the creatives making the decision on this. Yep. They're just yep. sort of like, you know, they've got their own problems to deal with. Um, so we really shouldn't be saddling them with this. But like, I understand that they're between a rock and a hard place. I mean, we understand that the creatives are there doing work, making their life happen, getting paid. Like, I don't begrudge them for any of this. I think as a business decision, it's a little bit ridiculous, but that's not on, that's not on the people who are writing the content or anything like that. You know, it, it'd be a shame, Brandon, if Uh there was some, something else that people could play, some kind of other tabletop RPG system, uh, perhaps Black Flag by Kobold Press. If Uh they had something like a, like a Kickstarter that was going on right now that as of recording, was almost five times funded for its hundred thousand dollar goal. Yeah, that's it'd ridiculous. be a real, be a real shame if something like that were the case, where people might abandon Five E so that they could go play something else that isn't jacking yeah. prices up right now. Yes, what Josh is very, very transparently alluding to is that <laughs> um, I think yesterday um, the uh, Tales of the Valiant Kickstarter. Um, for Black Flag, uh, went live and I was putting out the, uh, the Goblins and Growlers, uh, uh, gazette, the monthly newsy newsletter, um, last week. And I was just, I kind of put off as long as I could to send the email because everybody was, everything was saying like, 
oh yeah, they're going to be launching this like at, toward the end of May. They're going to be launching this toward the end of May. And finally, it was like sort of the middle of the week last week, and I didn't want to wait. I'm like, okay, like here's the link to it when it eventually launches. But as of as of press time, it hasn't launched. And um, I saw the stuff on Facebook yesterday that uh, it had gone live. And the goal was, uh, you know, 100,000 because they always lowball these goals so they can make it. Every successful Kickstarter is going to lowball their goals so they can look wildly successful at the end of it. Um, but in the span of like 24 hours, like they've made, like just Josh and I got on this call maybe like an hour and some change ago and it was 460,000. Uh, it's now 472,000. So they've made like an extra 12 grand just in the last hour on this. Um, they've got, uh, let's see, they've got stretch goals going up to 600,000. Like this is easily going to hit a million, I think. Um, this is going to be sort of like mystery science theater reboot levels on this, which I think ended up being like a million three or something. But that yeah. was like six or seven years ago. Uh, but it's, um, uh, if you're not subscribed to the Goblins and Growlers Gazette, a Newsy monthly newsletter, by the way, um, we'll put the sign up link in here. It's once a month. Throw some, I throw some news bits in there of stuff you might not know. I throw a little summary of the podcast from the month in there, recommend an indie game, tell you where we're going to be at uh, if you're in the area or if we're going abroad uh, to someplace like Philadelphia or Charlotte or something like that. Let you know where to find us. But anyway, talking you about, can, oh, go ahead. You can also get the newsletter on our link tree in case you don't like pulling up our show notes because you don't like reading all of the work that we put into these show notes. We yeah. put so much work in these show notes. Well, Brandon, especially. We put so much work into them. But uh, if you don't like those, you can go to linktr.ee slash goblins and growlers, all lowercase. And that's got the sign up for the newsletter there as well. Yeah. But um, I'm going to, for uh, video viewers, uh, I'm going to do a quick little screen share on Ooh, this. La la. Yeah. Um, video viewers. Yeah. People people who watch us on, on youtube.com. Yes. Yes, if I can find what I'm looking for, because I have about a thousand tabs open, and it's making me choose here. Oh my god! I completely forgot what our uh, channel link is. I think it's just yeah, it's YouTube.com/slash at Goblins and Growlers. So yes. that gets you that gets you to our video section. Uh, yeah, or you can just Google Goblins and Growlers YouTube. Um, that's probably faster. And then click on the Maybe. top link. Click on the top Maybe. link. But I don't anyway, know. but anyway, here is the Tales of the Valiant uh, from Cobalt Press. Uh, it's very nice. It's what I would expect from a professional Kickstarter from a publishing company that knows what they're doing. Um, yep. I think we talked about this not last time because last time we were talking to Colin about Nations of Canons, but. Uh, maybe the episode before that, we were talking about this and the and how its plan was for it to be like um, two books. Like it's a two book core rules essentially. Um, that mm. might that might have actually been in the April newsletter. I cannot remember exactly what I've been doing. Um, <laughs> but the long and short of this, um, without without diving like too deep into it, uh, they they really sort of sum it up in the what is the Tales of the Valiant RPG. Tales of the Valiant, T-O-V, keeps all the best of 5e D&D and adds a cobalt press spin to the well-loved game. It combines the Creative Commons Foundation of 5th edition with new elements to create a powerful cobalt-style 5e with T. Um, which tells us nothing, but there's a good reason that it tells us nothing, because this is effectively just 
Cobalt Press's version of fifth edition. Um, you can dress it up as much as you like. And don't let me sound sour on this because I know I'm a very cynical person. Uh, I'm glad that they're doing this because there need to be more alternatives out there. So everybody is not under sort of the wizard's umbrella. But at the end of the day, it's basically 5e with some tweaks. Um, you know, the c- community has been through this before when Pathfinder came out uh, around 3.5. Um, but again, not to say I'm, I'm, uh, denigrating it or upset about it in any way. I am glad it's here. Um, retain compatibility with 5e stuff. Um, let's see, new options. Um, fighter, wizard, rogue, dwarves, elves, wealth of new options. Uh, the mechanist class, which I sounds to me like it's going to be a bit artificery, um, since that's something that's not in the SRD and in Creative Commons. They had to create their own sort of artificer style class to fill that void. I imagine we'll be seeing a lot of that. I'm hoping it's a little bit more of like a mechanical engineer and a little bit less of a like, oh, it can be potions or brews or magic scrolls or whatever you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Yeah, so the Monster Vault, which is going to be their bestiary, and then they've got sort of the standard core rule style book with it. It's actually not a bad deal. Um, for everything that you're getting. Um, because let's see, let's see. If you look at the pledge levels, um, yeah, you get the, let's see, 59 bucks for the Monster Vault hardcover. And then you get, uh, the alpha release PDF and everything. It looks like the reasonable prices on here are you get one, one of the books in hardback and the other one in PDF with a lot of other stuff. Um, yep. Uh, which tying back to our previous conversation, you know, they're sort of keeping prices in line with the new, uh, Wizards of the Coast prices with something like that. But I imagine once we get out of Kickstarter and we get into pre-order for folks who didn't back the Kickstarter, it's probably going to cost more than 59. Um, well, let's keep in mind that's 59 for a physical copy of the book and two PDFs. Yeah. We're not talking about, uh, D&D Beyond situation. Like you get the PDFs that are downloadable for you. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's the thing. PDFs are PDFs. Like I, I don't think you should buy digitally unless you can get a PDF that you can download and keep. If you, right. can, if you can do that, then you're fine. Um, right. And, and ideally, ideally, and I, I don't like to harp on this too much. You are not the kind of person who's like, sweet, a PDF. I'm going to put that in a Google Drive folder and share it with people. Mm-hmm. Because if Cobalt Press doesn't make any money from this, they stop doing it. And if they stop doing it, then you're putting power back into the hands of Wizards mm-hmm. of the Coast. Yeah. And you can also, there also, you can also pledge for a, a menu of different uh, virtual tabletop licenses on here. I thought that was interesting because they're supporting, they're supporting Shard, World Anvil, um, uh, Roll20 and uh, Fantasy Grounds on there. Um, and then you can, it's like 79 bucks and you get uh, VTT licenses for like 79 bucks and I can get everything for Shard. 79 bucks, I can get everything for Fantasy Grounds. Uh, everything for Roll20, etc. So that's that's a little hinky to me because I don't like being tied to a platform. Because um, like, I'm I continue to wait for the day when somebody buys Roll20 and modernizes it. Cause at this point, it's, it's like running a game compared to some of the other VTTs out there. It's like running a game on steam and coal power. Um, given what a lot of the other <laughs> ones are able to do. Um, honestly, I'm surprised. Well, 
I guess I'm not surprised. I was about to say, honestly, I'm not surprised that like Hasbro or Wizards hasn't bought it yet. But I think, I think they decided they could do a lot better if they just started from scratch <laughs> with their one D and D virtual tabletop system. Yeah, which, I mean, I think which they spo- also wanted spoiler had more control yeah. over. Spoiler: They are going to do it better. <laughs> like I can harp on them all I want, but that's going to be an amazing VTT because it's going to feel I like mean, you're it's going to feel like you're playing Diablo. When you've got the budget to hire a bunch of game designers, or you have a staff of game designers already doing, I don't know, Baldur's Gate three game design for you, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but you know, I'm excited about this. But if you boil everything away, take all the sort of decorations and bells and whistles from it, there's really nothing special about this Kickstarter that I wouldn't expect. It's a very by the numbers Kickstarter for a third-party publisher who's releasing a brand new product, like retailer-only stuff, variant covers, um, a special set of dice that you can get that goes with it. Um, you know, that's adding to the cost a little bit too, um, like 35 millimeter um, um, and a Mega D20, or no, the 35 millimeter Mega D20, and then a metal seven dice set with a tray. Um, so that's nice. Like, this is good. This is good. I'm I am not blown away by anything here because I expected it to be far beyond the goal. I expected all this kind of stuff to it. I'm just excited about it. I'll buy it when it comes out. I'm not going to back the Kickstarter um, because I'm just not in that much of a hurry for it. And also, I don't need to be part of the playtest because I don't have time for that. Uh, and that's another, that's another thing. You get to be like part of some more of the playtest because they're not projecting an estimate a delivery on this until April of 2024. Yeah, it's you're going to spend the money and then they're going to sit on that money for a little bit while they get everything finished. Which, admittedly, they've got a lot of physical stuff here that they're having to finish designing, mm-hmm. get printed, make sure the prototypes are good, and then start printing and issuing and getting shipped. And That is a big, big, big involved process. The logistics are the worst part of something like this. But, yep. you know, I know we both love Cobalt Press. I really want this to succeed. Um, oh yeah, but I've talked about this before. How I was like, I'm really worried about everybody having their own unique system is just going to fracture stuff. Um, yeah, you that's know, be- fair. Between between um, you know Five E and the Creative Commons stuff, the new stuff that Wizards is putting out, Orc and Black Flag, and then everybody and their sibling coming out with their own unique system. The only the, like, I guess a positive of this is the way a lot of it's going to work is 5e, the Creative Commons 5e is essentially going to be the skeleton key for everything. So using that as a bridge, I should be able to marry Black Flag with Orc or, you know, Black Flag with something that came out in Big B's because it's all going to be compatible with the 5e Creative Commons. So that's good. That's good. But I don't know. I worry about the market fracturing. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I I feel like having another couple of big players on the field uh, is not necessarily fracturing the market in a bad way. I think the big thing is making sure that this doesn't become a trend where everybody's like, oh, well, I'm going to split off and I'm going to make my own TTRPG. Mm-hmm. Because when you've got eight and a half million different systems, mm-hmm. uh, you may as well be GURPS. So you don't think that the dozen or so publishers that have already said, I'm going to go make my own TTRPG are going to... I don't like it. You you think they're going to be the exception rather than the rule? You think everybody's going to kind of fall in line? I mean, that's kind of my hope is that we can get... I'm not saying it's going to be Black Flag. I'm not saying it's going to be Orc. I don't know. 
but I'm hoping that there will be one or two big systems that kind of the the cream will rise to the top. Oh yeah. I'm I'm unjustifiably in a position I would rather not be in. As you stand there trying to pull sixty dollars plus tax out of your wallet at your <laughs> local gaming store. <laughs> unjustifiably in a position I'd rather not be in. <laughs> I need to justify to my other players that they need to discard all of the books they <laughs> currently have and join me on this new adventure. Hulk Hogan, uh, you raised the prices <laughs> on Wizards of the Coast books. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm just, I'm just hoping that there's Macho Man does that to my throat. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, no, no, it's I'm fine. S- I'm so glad that you didn't use uh, Macho Man voice as your Gravy Boat Barnes voice because that wouldn't have lasted very long at all. I had to abandon that plan after almost just ten minutes of of doing it. <laughs> I would have no so, voice left. My my hope is that we get one or two big new fancy umbrellas out of this and we get a lot of new and interesting stuff under those umbrellas. I feel like Powered by the Apocalypse uh, Mm -hmm. as a system has done a really good job of creating a space where people can build what they want to build and run it and sell it and have a good time with it. Uh, My hope is to see one or two more that are kind of in that vein. Yeah, I... I've been putting off for several weeks because after we had that conversation about what what setting would you really like to see, uh, and like we challenged each other to make it, I've been putting off making my Andy Griffith show Mayberry powered by the apocalypse just because I haven't had time. Um, I yeah. guess I guess that's a lie. I had time to put together a Robotron cabinet. I have not made time. I'm trying to be more. In- <laughs> I'm trying to be more intentional about how I phrase things like that. I have not made the time for it because I wanted to focus on other things. I am I'm in the exact same boat, so I cannot judge you at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll we'll get there. And once once one of us starts, I know that the other will be like, ah, crap! I got to start that too now. I can't be behind. Um. So we were talking about uh these new systems like Orc and Black Flag and everything like that. But I believe you had something you wanted to talk about for one D and D, which will be the other eight hundred pound gorilla player in this in this three-way uh, between Orc and Black Flag and and Wizards. I I did... Well, I mean, it is Wizards, let's be real. Yeah. Uh, I found an article by Charlie Hall on Polygon that was talking about uh, some interviews that have been had with Wizards of the Coast recently, talking about... Uh, <laughs> the title of the article is, D&D has a messaging problem that goes beyond the OGL controversy, which... <laughs> I'm inclined to agree. Oh, this just came out today. Yeah, yeah. This is this is recent news. According to some of the representatives of Wizards of the Coast, uh, Nathan Stewart principally, and then uh, I think Perkins also gets Chris Perkins also gets quoted here in the article. Uh, nope, I take that back. It was Jeremy Crawford. Anyway, um, Nathan Stewart is basically talking about. Oh, well, you know, the, the design team never called it one D and D. Like it's, that's, they've got code names and, you know, the, what, from our standpoint, what one D and D, what one D and D represented, uh, what they were doing. Plus it was the things we were seeing the D and D beyond team do for access and accessibility related to the digital and physical being more integrated. And it's like, that's not, 
you can't you can't just retcon history, my guy. So they're just you trying to, you're, they're trying to spin it like one D and D was their blue harvest. Like it was yes. just, okay. It's just a code name, you guys. Like everybody got way too worked up about this code name we were using for the stuff we were doing. And it's like, no, no, you said there will be no more editions. There will only be one D and D. That's not us getting confused. That's you saying outright something and now being like, let me, let me roll that back a little bit. Funny that they would spend money making a logo for a code word. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Very strange, isn't it? Uh, Jeremy Crawford, the quotes there are from the Wizards of the Coast event that they held in Seattle, Washington for a bunch of people and where they were talking about like the future of the community and things like that as a post OGL. You're, hey, you're talking about the, the, where all the content, all the creators and stuff got invited, uh, like Bob, Bob the world builder, et cetera. Right. Exactly. Except for us, we're not big enough. Yeah. Um, we, yeah. <laughs> I like how in the Polygon article <laughs> you sent me for this, like, uh, Polygon, uh, Polygon declined Hasbro's offer for travel and lodging accommodations. <laughs> we, Goblins and Growlers didn't accept their offer either. The fact that it was not extended helped us immensely in being able to refuse it. You know, we, we and Polygon are very much alike in that sense, mm-hmm. uh, in that we didn't <laughs> accept that offer. We have integrity. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jeremy Crawford was like, no, fifth edition is what it is. And it's, it's here to stay. Yeah. And, uh, we just wanted to be sure that we communicated that we are releasing new editions of the books, but not a new edition of the game. And here's, here's a couple of problems I have with this. I've looked at the one D and D playtest materials. I've, I mean, I haven't looked at them intensively, but I've looked at a few classes intensively. And, uh, that's not 5e, y'all. That is, that is, 5e compatible i'll grant that Mm -hmm. you can use it with 5e very easily but it's not it's not 5e it's it's 5.5e josh you're you're losing perspective it's not a new edition it's just an evolution of (laughs) dmd it's very frustrating it's very frustrating because I wonder if they, they'll let us buy a digital version of this bullshit or they're going to make us <laughs> eat the physical version of it. Like, I just, ah, it's, it's so annoying because you know, you know that this is just them responding to, hey, uh, the concept of 1D&D is not, it's not marketing well with our research groups. Mm-hmm. And so we've decided to walk it back. Yeah, And instead of being like, hey, you know what? We listened to you, the community, about 1D&D, and we've decided that everything needs to stay 5e compatible, which was kind of already the plan anyway. But we're going we're gonna to be really clear and like, transparent about all of that. They are instead being like, oh, that wasn't it ever. That you all misunderstood. Yeah. And it's like, you can't gaslight me. Yeah. I have news articles. I can Google what you said Six months ago. Well, like, that's, don't... that's why they want to have DRM over all their digital stuff. <laughs> so they can just go back and change it later. <laughs> uh. No, it's it's always frustrating when you see somebody like Jeremy Crawford get sucked into sort of this corporate situation. Because like, 
I really feel like Jeremy is Jeremy Crawford is like, uh, I would really rather not be involved in this sort of nonsense semantic <laughs> argument. But you know, you do what you got to do. And also, I want to I want to do a little bit of a retcon myself and say, I don't want to imply I don't want it to sound like I'm implying that everybody who accepted Wizard's offer for travel and lodgings to go to this thing is without integrity. Uh, because I can understand how if you're a small creator, um, the opportunity to go be a part of this could be a huge boost to what you're trying to accomplish. So the key not, is just not being beholden to them when you're doing it. Yeah, I mean, not least of which, as a networking opportunity, mm-hmm. huge, huge yeah. networking opportunity. I say this also in no small part that Bob the World Builder is going to be at too many games in Philadelphia, so we might run into him. <laughs> you can't. You can't go besmirching the man's name. No, uh, no. That I, I got the impression that you were doing that as a bit and mm-hmm. not as a literal thing. And uh, I did not think about the fact that some people don't know you as well as I do, right? And might not know that you were just doing a bit, right? Yeah, J- junkets can be fine as long as you remember that you don't actually owe them anything. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so that's that's a little frustrating. We were also, uh, over the course of talking about Tales of the Valiant, talking a little bit about the Orc license, mm-hmm. which uh, while you and I were talking about Tales of the Valiant, I was like, hey, what's going on with that these days? Well, it turns out they are on their second draft. They just finished accepting, as of recording, uh, revisions to their second draft and are working on their final draft. And this document looks like it was written exclusively by lawyers who hang out in a lawyering subreddit. Like the, <laughs> the legalese is dense. Uh, there are, oh, just in the definitions chapter of the license, it is more than a full page and it goes to subarticle N. That is N as in Nancy. I'm sorry. My ears glazed over while you were talking about all that. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, I, I read for Brandon this paragraph, which I will read for you, the listener, out of this second draft. It's not, this isn't the final license. Uh, though they will, they said they're going to be releasing the final license in May. So I think their plan is to have it out in the next few days. So it may actually be out before the release of this episode. Oh, okay. Um, Primary grant to you, subject to the terms and conditions of this ORC license, for the term, licensor hereby grants you a worldwide, royalty-free, non-sublicensable, non-exclusive, irrevocable license to exercise the licensed rights in the licensed material to use the licensed material in whole or in part. Licensor hereby authorizes you to exercise the licensed rights in all media and formats, whether now known or hereafter created, and to make technical modifications necessary to do so. Licensor hereby waives and or agrees not to assert any right or authority to forbid you from making technical Gosh, modifications. It's almost 10 o'clock. I don't need to be feeling tired <laughs> right now. We've still got at least like 10 it's, minutes to get through. <laughs> it is dense, dense legalese. Uh, basically... The way it reads, as much as I can understand, being very far removed from being a lawyer, um, and I will have to check and see if our lawyer friend, Noah Downs, 
uh, has said anything on the matter. The way it reads to me, if I'm understanding it correctly in this draft, is that they don't have any plans to lay claim to things that you create under their OGL. However, they are setting it up so that if you use their OGL and you mark that you've used their OGL, they will allow other people to use your content under the same license, provided it is attributed to you. I already said earlier in this episode that I am not a lawyer. Uh, I will emphasize again, uh, even though Josh said it, that he is not a lawyer either. <laughs> Do not take action based on any of our interpretations of this document. Man, we're, we're so much not lawyers. We're not even cool lawyers. No. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't even understand enough to have an opinion on what you said. Uh, we, t- I mean, we talked about it a little bit before we started recording and like, there's one of two, there's one of two ways to read that, I think. Um, and we just don't know which one it is. Yeah. It's, it's hard for me to say with any certainty, but based on the way it's written, I think the objective is that everybody who publishes content under this OGL is publishing that content with their own OGL, basically, mm-hmm. that is covered by this OGL where everything is shared. So it's, uh, I know, I know we make a lot of, uh, Russia jokes here on the podcast, but it does feel a little bit communist, like our content kind of situation. And, I'm not wholly against that, but as somebody who writes and publishes content, which I then hope to sell to people, I don't love the idea of someone coming along and being like, yeah, I borrowed your copyrighted character's name so that I could publish stuff using that copyrighted character. It's there. It's a little blurb that's in the back of the book that says that that character is from your book. So that should be fine. Right. And I'm like, no, you took my goofy lich character who is uh, very like kind of sarcastic and bad at his job. And you turned him into this like weird banner for this cause. And I don't, I don't like it. I don't like what you've done with my character. But the thing is, if I'm reading this correctly, again, not a lawyer, that's, that's well within their right under this license. So I don't know. Like if my understanding of it is correct and I plan to check with our lawyer friend to see if my understanding of it is correct, uh, particularly in the final version of the orc. Um, I don't, I don't know how comfy, cozy I'm going to be using it because I would like my copyright material to stay my copyright material. Yeah, the, the central committee of the communist paizo. <laughs> it. You mentioned this before. Uh, before we started recording, it feels like a big swing in the other direction from what Wizards was trying to do. And I respect that swing, but I, it almost feels like too much. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit. Like, I want, I want, like, it feels so strange that I almost feel like we have to be misinterpreting it in some way. Like, it's possible we are. And it's, to be fair, again, still a draft. Yeah. So it's possible that I'm not the only one who's noticed this and 
maybe there's a clause in here that I'm not catching because my eyes keep glazing over halfway through individual paragraphs. Uh, maybe there's something in here which says something to the effect of, hey, if you don't want to share your stuff, then you just put in part of the text that these are things that cannot be shared and then other things can be shared or something to that effect. And that, I'd be fine with that. <sighs> but again, we're not lawyers and we don't know. <laughs> Um, we, we are but simple men. Yeah. I want to hit a couple things before we run out of time. Um, uh, the first is uh, Nations of Canons. Uh, we talked to um, Colin Messier, their lead rules designer, uh, in the last episode. Uh, the uh, Kickstarter uh, hit its goal. What, uh, what number did they end up hitting, Josh? They hit $130,000. And Out of the twenty five thousand they were trying to get, so they did okay. They squeaked by on that. They did. They did pretty well. Yeah. Okay. So that's good. So, um, and they did figure out how to get a pre order set up on their Kickstarter. Correct. In fact, uh, if you go to nationsandcanons.com, there is a shop section where you can pre order a lot of the material that they were putting up for the Kickstarter. Uh, there's some really cool maps on here. There's some PDF options. There's uh, a the Misfire deck, like Colin was talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the core rule books, things like that. So all of these things are pre-orders, it should be clear, uh, because they're working on the finished project now that the Kickstarter is concluded. Right. So congratulations to them. Uh, it sounds like a really interesting project. I'm really looking forward to seeing it when it's done, especially if they're able to pull off that Benjamin Franklin Banshee Hunter uh, <laughs> situation, which really shouldn't be the thing that appeals to me the most, but I am very interested to see how that goes. We are but simple <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. And uh, like the other thing I wanted to make sure to mention, this was also in the newsletter. It was actually sort of a thin gruel for news in sort of the middle of May, just because they had shifted everything sort of toward the end of May. Uh, but I did find something that I thought was very silly, which is Dungeons and Dragons uh, launching a free 24-hour streaming channel this summer. Oh, God. Yeah. And it's just like, come on, man. Come on. Um, I, there's a story in Variety about it. And I, I mean, like, I understand the initial reaction is like, oh, that's kind of cool. But um, uh, it's going to be a free ad-supported streaming network. So think like Crackle, pretty much. Or Hulu. Uh, yeah, Hulu. If when you, Hulu started. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hulu, if you don't have a higher ad-free tier uh, now. But uh, Hasbro's Entertainment One, so this that's key right there. That that was their old, I think, um, over-the-top, like it was like a Roku channel or it was some sort of streaming channel that they had. And it all but went away because they were like an infinitesimally small player in the streaming wars. Uh, and they really had no chance to like gain any purchase. like. Uh, you know, they didn't have, I don't think they had good IP on there anyway to drive that. But that's, that's key. Cause remember, remember it's E1 and not Wizards that's doing this. It's another subsidiary of Hasbro. Betting that Dungeons and Dragons fans will flock to a new free ad supported streaming television channel dedicated to the fantasy franchise, uh, and is prepping for summer launch. Uh, it's expected to be available on quote, a number of platforms, but E1 has not cut any distribution deals as of yet, according to the company. And let me just say, as an editor and somebody who's managed and coached editors, it was always one of my huge faux pas if I ever caught them letting a number slip through like that. You either know the number or you don't. 
So right. don't, don't say a number. You could leave it at uh, E1 has not cut any distribution deals as yet. Yeah. Like, just leave it at that. Yeah. Adding a number. I mean, zero is a number. Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, the channel will feature a slate of original, celebrity-focused, unscripted series. And then here's where we get into the part where I'm like, oh, Lord. Um, it's going to have Encounter Party, which is going to be a live version of the podcast, um, which I've, I'm not too terribly familiar with. Uh, but, you know, I understand some people like it. Uh, and then another one called Faster Purple Worm Kill Kill, uh, which I believe is fronted by Matthew Lillard. Like, that is correct. Yeah. So both of these are going to be essentially improv actual plays. Um, and we'll get to my thoughts on that in a minute. Um, they're going to have uh, episodes of the 1980s D&D series. And they're going to have something called Heroes Feast, which is like a, it's going to be like a live sort of cooking competition show um, for like fantasy themed cooking. So like, I guess they're just taking Mythical Kitchen to the next level. Like, they're copying off of Mythical to do something like this. Like, I mean, that's basically what they do on that channel um, with a lot of the, like, Meals of History and stuff like that. Um, let's see. Dan Rawson, the SVP of Dungeons & Dragons at Watsy, says, we look forward to bringing this channel to life, continuing to build out the thrilling D&D universe with even more content, partnerships, and innovative formats. I gotta feel like they're gonna get um, some sort of critical role content on there. Um, uh, but I think critical role is probably at the point where they can be like, nah, actually, I don't think we want to be a part of that. Um, but the thing that puts me off about this is, uh, this is a low effort cash grab. Um, you're going to be spending most of your money on those three live actions, uh, encounter party, faster purple worm, kill, kill and heroes feast. Uh, but with Encounter Party and Purple Worm, they're probably going to have really low overhead aside from paying the people to actually appear. And they're probably going to do 13 episodes and then they'll rerun those 13 episodes a lot because they're going to be like probably two or three hours. Same for Encounter Party. Um, Heroes Feast, probably going to be 13 episodes. I can't imagine them committing to more than that. It might even be 10 because like Paramount Plus is like, they're pushing stuff down to 10. Netflix is doing stuff, pushing it down to 10. And then are they just going to be running just like blocks of the D&D animated series that, you know, there's only what, like 26 episodes of that? 13, 26 episodes of that? Uh, yeah, I think. I actually don't recall. I think it is 26, though. Just yeah. just as a, at a guess. Yeah, I'm looking it up really quick. Because um, the lower the number, the better my point, I think. <laughs> yeah well i mean it, it it ran for almost two years so it probably has oh 27 episodes 27 well here's here's my assumption on this mm -hmm. is that these are the shows that they're listing which means these are their flagship programs and what they're planning to do with the rest of the time is to basically make a deal where they can broadcast stuff and I would not be shocked at all to find that this is something they can uh, handshake through. They can broadcast stuff that is Wizards of the Coast, like people who are running D&D actual plays on something like Twitch mm -hmm. and uh, pull VODs from various channels and just run those 
and not have to make a deal with the video creator as long as they make a deal with Amazon, who owns Twitch. Right. I guess my feeling on this is that, like, this strikes me as a real Me Too move uh, with no soul as part of it, because, I mean, basically, the Twitch community, like the streaming community who's doing this kind of stuff, is doing a better job. Like, they're doing a perfectly fine job of this. Um, Yeah. Hasbro doesn't need to get involved in this, except, you know, if they want the ad revenue. If that's nakedly why they're doing this, they want the ad revenue. Um, but, you know, like Crackle, Crackle wasn't a success with its uh, free ad support. Um, no. You know, like uh, this thing is going to have to have some sort of paid tier eventually in order to be successful. You're not going to be able to pay for original programming without having a paid tier. On it, no. It's just the, I'm, ad support. Ad support's garbage. And again, I'm, I, again, coming from the newspaper industry, uh, it's like this in TV too. Ad support is garbage. Like you need subscription revenue to supplement that. I'm honestly surprised they're not already advertising. Oh, it's ad supported at a free level, mm-hmm. or you can pay up. Like I suspect that's part of their plans because I can't imagine mm-hmm. rolling out a streaming service and being like, oh. You're gonna want to watch ads for sure. Oh well, I'll tell you exactly why they haven't done it. They haven't said any of that yet because they don't know what the hell the rest of their programming is going to be. <laughs> they they don't want to start raising the specter of a paid tier until they have a really solid idea of what like a week of programming is going to look like on this. The concept of it being twenty four hour streaming channel mm-hmm. is just baffling to me. Like what? What do you put on for that amount of time? Well, it's so much content. Yeah. Well, and like, think of it like an episode of Critical Role, right? Like, I don't listen to Critical Role. I don't watch Critical Role because they're three hours long. Yeah. Like, probably what the thing to do for these live action series is to have half hour to hour episodes, um, you know, have those folks play for like a couple months and then take all of that, like a whole arc for with beginning to end of a story. So there's closure and then cut that up into maybe like 26, um, episodes. Cause then most of your cost is coming from set salary and editing. On the flip side of that, if you were to take something that had more of a critical role style length, I don't think it's going to be any of these shows that feature big name actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems unlikely. Well, Matthew Lillard's a big D&D fan, so like he might be doing I, it just because he wants to do it. I can't imagine Matthew Lillard's not getting paid at least a decent paycheck. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, he's getting paid, but like he, he probably, I don't want to say probably, but I think there's a possibility that he enjoys the idea of doing a D&D show enough that he could be flexible on how much he's willing to do it for, especially if it's only going to be a few weeks commitment for him. Fair. Uh, my, what I was going to say though is if they run those like more critical role esque length episodes, like three hours, mm-hmm. then I mean, there's, there's three out of your 21. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And honestly, if, if critical role was on a television station and I'm like flipping through channels, figuring out what I want to watch mm-hmm. and I turn on the television station briefly just to be like, Hey, what's, what's going on on here for a little bit? And Critical Role is on. I mean, I might leave Critical Role on while I fold laundry or something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I think the way Critical Role ended up coming to uh, 
Amazon is the way that this kind of stuff should be done. It should be adapted for a 30 minute episode because, <laughs> most, because that, I mean, that's how for like mass consumption, that's a way that you can get casuals in on something like that. Oh, a fa- like a 30 minute fantasy animated series. Yeah. I'll watch that three hours of watching these people talk and look at paper and roll dice. No, I can't really commit to that. Um, <laughs> you want to hear my uh, favorite bit of trivia about the 1980s Dungeons and Dragons animated series? Yes, I'll always. My favorite bit of trivia about that is the guy who voiced uh, Hank the Ranger. Uh, his name's Willie Ames. And he is better known today as the first Bible man. Are you familiar? Oh my God. Are you familiar with Bible Man, the superhero? I am familiar with Bible Man. Yes, Willie Ames was the voice of Hank the Ranger, and that I, that is a wonderful piece of trivia I learned about a year and a half ago. I don't know that I ever would have made that connection. That's nope. fantastic. Nope. Yep. He was also on Charles in Charge. <laughs> like he was, he was apparently much more of like a traditional actor back in the eighties, um, and then he. Uh, got into the Bible man thing. <laughs> he's at, like, he was replaced as Bible man. Eventually. I think he decided to stop doing it. Cause it was like a, a huge commitment, but there was not, like, they're on like their second or third Bible man. Now it's like the Batman movies. Basically <laughs> <laughs> he was the Michael Keaton of Bible man. Uh, I did. I did realize that I gave a bad delivery earlier. Uh, Scott, you don't have to clip this in, but I do feel that for the audience, I should say, Yes, always. <laughs> Doesn't he do anything? <laughs> um, I will say, whether, whether you're a religious person or not, uh, if you've never watched an episode of the Willie Ames Bible Man, um, it is absolutely worth watching an episode. It's, it's not quite like Velocipaster levels of you absolutely need to see this, but it's pretty close. It's a, re- it's, pretty close. it's a religious 1966 Batman is what it is. Yeah. 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 It's amazing. Yeah. I would call it campy, but it would, but I'm going to have to call it vacation Bible school campy. <laughs> um, he fights villains uh, by quoting Bible verses at them and then they do a little lightsaber battle and then he quotes more Bible verses. It's, there was, there were a couple, there were probably several weeks after I discovered, or I rediscovered this because I remembered seeing it on religious TV a long time ago. Um, that I, uh, got up on Sunday mornings and would make some coffee and I would just sit down and find a Bible man episode on YouTube and watch it just because it was like watching a car crash kind of, uh, <laughs> because it was just like, it's like, it's not bad. Like I'm not religious, but. I appreciate the earnestness with which these people are putting their heart and soul into producing it. And I always appreciate when somebody just swings for the fences at something that they really believe in, whether I think it's good or not. Like the show is just weird. Like he walks around like Bible man all the time. He like shows up at church as Bible man and he's just chatting with people, not doing like superhero stuff. He has a secret cave. Uh, like he steps into a machine to put his armor on. Uh, it's, I mean, he's got sidekicks. It's hilarious. I, I encourage anybody to watch it. But anyways, that was this. You, 
I think we're. I think Bible Man is going to become the new Russian arcade museum. <laughs> I was. I was about to say you thought your arcade was the Russian arcade museum of this episode. No, Bible Man. Oh, here's. Here, I've. I've been looking up some stuff as we've been talking. In 2004, Willie left the show to spend more time with his family. Parenthesis. Though there are a few who think someone higher in the food chain decided he had too much control over the show. End parenthesis. <laughs> And was replaced by Robert Schlipp playing Josh Carpenter, a younger and hipper Bible man for a new generation. Uh, it's important for Bible man to be young and hip, you guys. Exactly. He has a new testament to bring. <laughs> oh, God. All right. I think we're done. <laughs> I think we're done. Y'all, telephone, telegraph, <laughs> tell a friend about the Goblins and Growlers podcast. That's how we get out there. That's word of mouth is honestly the best way for us to be shared. Uh, we don't spend any money on advertising. And even if we did, it wouldn't be anywhere near as good as you turning to the person beside you on the bus and frantically saying, you gotta listen to this podcast. You gotta listen to this podcast. Yeah. And uh, if uh, you want to stay up to date, on uh, all the stuff that we're doing and maybe learn a little something along the way, you can sign up for the Goblins and Growlers Gazette, the newsy monthly newsletter. And then if you don't like things we've said, like if you're like, I swear, if you guys talk about Bible Man for another minute, uh, you can join the Goblins and Growlers Discord at uh, bit.ly slash Goblin Discord and tell us to shut the hell up. <laughs> uh, don't do that because our mods will ban you very quickly. Uh-huh. But... You can come in there and be like, hey, I disagree with your take on Bible Man. <laughs> <laughs> you had a bad take on Bible Man. <laughs> and by bad take, I mean, I wish it had never made it into the episode at all. <laughs> uh, as you're listening to this, we are doing 30% of all sales on goblinsgrowlers.bigcartel.com to support Mad RVA. Um, and what was the other thing I was going to say? Gosh, it wasn't that. Were you, were you going to talk about how we're going to be at too many games? Uh, no, but that works too. Um, we're going to be at too many games in Philadelphia, um, at indie gaming, a rather large indie gaming convention, um, on June 23rd, 24th and 25th. We'll be in the indie showcase. We'll be running some, uh, indie games. Uh, I don't know if anybody, well, I'm sure most of the people who listen to this probably know it, but we've, we've started doing like third-party publishing essentially for uh indie game developers so we're going to be have have some of their stuff there um showing it off and and uh probably doing some panels and things like that too alan is working on the scheduling and organization of all that stuff so if you're uh in or near the philadelphia area in late june uh swing by and say hi josh i don't think you'll be there i will not be there but the uh illustrious sound guy gabe will be yeah um, Alan will be there too. And, uh, for the folks who know Liz, uh, Liz will be there as well. Uh, that's the plan at least, uh, a month out. <laughs> Usually a month out, our plans are pretty solid. We'll yeah. see about what too many games plans are. Yeah. Um, gosh, I can't remember what the other thing I wanted to talk about was. It must not have been important. Uh, if I can't remember it, uh, you know, if it comes to you, I'm sure people can find it inside the Goblins Growlers newsletter. Uh, yeah, or you can just tweet me. At uh, or if Brandon tells me what it is, you can tweet me at Black Cloak DM. Huh. All right. I'm not going to remember what that was. So let's just, uh, let's just call <laughs> Sounds it. Sounds like a plan. I want to. 
I want to go play yeah. more Rage before bed. <laughs> All right. Bye, y'all. Bye, everybody. like what you hear consider subscribing and giving us a review over on apple podcasts especially early in the feed subscriptions and reviews are super helpful for bringing new listeners our way thank you